Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 48, Changed Man. My interview today is with Michael Glatz, a former homosexual and advocate for so-called gay rights, to share his story with us and why he now affirms the biblical view of sexuality. This episode 48 is going to contain part one of the interview, in which we focus on Michael's story and his responses to some misinformation that's been spread around the internet by his critics. Episode 49 will contain part two, where we focus on what the Bible says about homosexuality and how culture incorrectly views homosexual behavior. I do have some housekeeping to do since the previous episode. I need to explain a gap in the podcast feed, and I want to follow up briefly on my previous guest's interview. But there are tons of people who I don't expect to be regular listeners to the show, but for whom I think today's interview with Michael is very important. And I don't want what would normally be several minutes of monologue and a promo for another show to get in the way of Michael's message. So I'm going to skip that today, and we'll catch you all up in next week's episodes. And for now, let's just move right into the interview. My guest today is Michael Glatz, former editor at XY Magazine and co-founder of Young Gay America Magazine, and subject of a recent New York Times piece commenting on his conversion to Christianity and rejection of homosexuality. Thanks so much for joining me today, Michael. You are, are very welcome, Chris. Now, normally I begin my interviews asking for my guest's testimony about how it is that they became believers, but I want to place that in its proper context, uh, and I want, to, I want to first talk about your life leading up to that point. Can you start by sort of telling us about your adolescence, how it is that you began to consider yourself gay and later came out as gay? Sure. Um, I had same-sex desires when I was in high school, and um, when I got into college, I uh, labeled those desires as um, all-encompassing as far as my identity was concerned. And I acted out on those desires and became a gay man. Hmm. So that's a pretty simple story, actually. Uh, were your uh, Were your parents um, Christians? I mean, how how did they react to your your uh, coming out? They were dead. They were deceased, and so um, it really was a catalyst. Uh, my father had passed away when I was thirteen. My mother then uh, got sick and um, was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was a senior in high school. And obviously, there are um, so many ramifications of that kind of trauma on a young uh, boy. And um, I'm not a psych psychotherapist or anything like that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not capable of looking in and saying, well, what are all the things that took place and, and, and this or that. But certainly, um, it had uh, an impact on my childhood. And... Um, I believe had an impact uh, as well on those desires. Um, certainly, I believe that uh, the relationship that I had with my dad was very strained uh, in that he um, 
had been unfaithful to my mother, and I was kind of right there witnessing the whole thing when I was nine, ten years old. Mm. Then they were divorced, and then he died, and so all of that sort of um, real disassociation with uh, my sort of model of, of manhood or masculinity was was something quite profound for me, and uh, as I've kind of observed my transformation from uh, a gay-identified person into a straight-identified person, I've certainly seen uh, how that was really a traumatic uh, experience that really led to those same-sex desires. Sure. Um, now, that was not, obviously, that was not something I was able to understand uh, when I was um, in college or high school, and this was just my reality. And uh, so when I got to college, um, my mom, as I said, she was sick and she did die. Uh, and uh, immediately thereafter, I really kind of was extremely uh, hurt, but I really turned it into anger. And I just dove into just about everything I could think of that was wrong or evil. And homosexuality was one of those things. And so I just kind of succumbed to the pressure that I had felt. Sure. Yeah. And we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, talk about that a little more a little later. Um, but first, so in some 2000 articles, uh, 2007 articles that you published at World Net Daily, uh, from what I understand, you became an activist at about age 20 and your sort of ro- rise to notoriety within the gay movement began when you were 22. Can you tell us about that and, and about your continued involvement? Because it seems that based on what, what is described in those articles, that there were a number of what at the time you probably considered achievements within the gay movement. Sure, I was always an achiever uh, from an early age and uh, got into an Ivy League college and uh, was really driven. I, I think in a lot of ways I was just driven to succeed and um, I, I did a good job the best I could. And so when I became a gay man, it was the idea there was that here was a great uh, pet cause. This was something I could find purpose in and, and focus on and... Um, and so I was really, I really gave it my all. I really um, dove into the activism. I was surrounded by many people who were interested in uh, queer and feminist theories. Um, I took uh, some of the first uh, queer texts uh, classes that they offered there in, in the schools. And um, so I was really um, well versed in the terminology and I became really kind of driven to be a, a sort of a politician an activist, I guess, is, is, is a word that's been used, um, for, I, I kind of thought of it more as a, as a politician, um, for, uh, for the gay cause. And, uh, so when I was at Dartmouth, I, um, I ran for the chair of the, the, the Dartmouth, uh, gay, uh, group and, and became the head of that and tried to organize those folks and, and trying to inspire um, a community there, and uh, then went out to San Francisco, where I got my sort of uh, gay uh, 101, if you will, going out there, having not been been there. But my my intention was to really immerse myself in the culture, to understand it, and to to be able to articulate aspects of it. And I, I was really driven to be, uh, as I said, a, a real political force as best I could. So. What were some of the ways that you uh, that you managed to play that kind of uh, be a part of that kind of force? I mean, we mentioned XY, XY Magazine, Young Gay America Magazine. Were there any other uh, accomplishments, or at least what you thought were accomplishments at the time? Well, I, I went and protested the Republican National Convention with a group of young people back in 1996, and uh, that was uh, you know a, a, a fun effort. There were quite a few other uh, activist type efforts I did in, in San Francisco. 
Um, and then when I moved out there after uh, I graduated from college, um, I was really looking for a, a place to kind of plug into the movement and uh, XY, an opportunity opened up there. Now, I was very wary about taking that opportunity because XY was really seen as something kind of fluffy and um, something almost like a teen beat kind of magazine, you know, one of those teen magazines. <laughs> and, I, and I kind of thought of maybe myself as being a little more serious. And, and I think um, anybody who knew me from that day would, would say that that was the case. I know Benoit, who wrote that New York Times article, and he and I would always, you know, see differently about things because I was much more politically motivated than, than uh, I guess, than otherwise. And so, but I, at the same time, I felt like at the time that that, that was going to be a vehicle for me to, to try to move up in the movement. And eventually it did platform uh, into the book that Ben uh, Benji, which was my partner at the time, and that's the name he went by. Um, we uh, wrote a book together, which was called A Survival Guide for Gay Teens. And that really led to us establishing contacts in the business world, in the political world, in the um, in the professorial world. We met, you know, sort of key figures in the gay movement throughout the country. And that allowed us to sort of slide out of XY into our own organization, Young Gay America, where we started to form our own brand and that eventually led to a documentary film that we did across America with a PBS affiliate which was focused on gay teens in America um, led to a cover story in Time magazine where I was called as sort of the expert if you will on gay youth in America and uh, of course our our um our magazine there had begun Young Gay America which we saw as sort of a more virtuous counterpart to this XY, we, we saw Young Gay America was going to fill the need that we felt XY lacked in that we felt it was just lacking in substance. And we, we saw this as a, as a long-reaching sort of movement of gay youth in America, and we were wanting to help uh, shepherd that movement forward. And, um, and uh, yeah, so it was quite uh, successful from many people's perspectives. We, were, we, we received, Benji and I received a national role model Award uh, from one of the major gay rights groups in I think it was 03 uh, where we were given this award for for being role models and it was a, it was great things were working well and it was moving quite quickly as well yeah well from what I can gather there was something that happened in 2004 that led to what you've called your spiritual awakening uh, before that you were at best skeptical of organized religion from what I can tell but but what is it that changed and how did you initially come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, truly, it was God's grace. All along, I look back and I see the, the times and the places where he would demonstrate his grace to me. Even while, while I was a gay activist, I was at root, you know, my, my ultimate enemy was Christianity, was Jesus. Um, I was so driven to fight uh, for this cause. And ultimately, uh, I was really fighting against Christ. Um, because when it came down to all of the so-called hate and all of the so-called anti-gay uh, forces, individuals that were out there that I was uh, really fighting against, it was all united around uh, Christ. And hmm. so um, when I was in 1996 in, in, in San Diego uh, protesting with a, a bunch of other young people, 
you know, we were protesting the Christian Coalition uh, Faith and Freedom Day event. They were our core enemy. And uh, we were, you know, shouting at them saying that they were killing queer youth. And we had bloody handprints on uh, flyers. And, you know, it was very, it was very kind of, uh, I didn't organize the event, but I was part of it. And it was very, you know, dynamic kind of direct action, uh, act up style uh, protesting. And um, I remember a group of Christian women coming and circling around us. And I was screaming at them. I was so angry. And uh, they were very peaceful and they were loving and they were praying for us and telling us that God loved us. And and, and it was very, very uh, powerful. And, uh, you know, years later, I would uh, look back at that and, and that love. Romans 2, 4 says, don't you know that it's the goodness or the kindness of, of God that, that ultimately leads you to repentance? And that, of course, is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Over time, you know, the more I would fight against, it's kind of like Paul, you know, it's hard to kick against the pricks. The more you <laughs> fight against Christ, um, really, you know, it's it's almost like, wow, what is this battle and, and why am I doing this? And so um, for me personally, there there was a lot of that throughout my activism where I was always angry, always trying to fight something, and ultimately there was that one enemy. And then when uh, when when it got to be when things got to really uh, move along in our success with Young Gay America, um, I was also starting to have psychosomatic kind of problems, you know, really physical problems. And uh, and I think the Lord really had a hand in that to kind of just put put the brakes on a little bit. I was having a lot of stomach pains. My heart was was not, you know, there was heart palpitations and everything was kind of just weird. And uh, it wasn't, you know, I I I wasn't, uh, I didn't have a disease or anything like that. People have, you know, speculated about all sorts of things because people like to tell stories. But sure. um, but really, it was just, I I really feel it was a psychosomatic reaction in my soul, you know, to what was going on. Uh, I remember hearing a story of of Darwin when he was about to produce his origin of the species that he had a lot of similar kind of things going on in his body because uh, probably the spirit of God was trying to convict him that this was going to have such a major potentially harmful impact hmm. on on the world and uh and so you know as as my impact was growing this was happening and so praise God for that he is so wonderful and uh and really, it got to the point where um, I, I had about three weeks of near insanity because my mom had, uh, sorry, my dad had died of of a heart uh, failure instantly with uh, with a congenital heart defect. And so I kind of thought that, wow, maybe my heart is is you know failing. Maybe I've got what my dad had. And he was just walking on the beach in Washington State doing a surveying job. He was an engineer, and he just collapsed dead. And so. Wow. It was kind of like, okay, any moment now I could collapse dead. It, my next breath could be my last. And uh, being that I was in Canada at the time, I had to wait three weeks for uh, their universal health care to provide a test uh, that would be conclusive. And so I sat there for three weeks and I pretty much went insane. If you can imagine, uh, I was I would lie in bed and you know how you can hear your heartbeat. I would uh, hear it, and I would think, oh, that beat was a little bit longer than the one before. Maybe that's oh. the last one. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I know that Benji, when he recalls those times, he was, of course, again, my, my partner at the time, he, he sees that I, I really lost it. You know, I really went crazy. And in a lot of ways, 
I did. I, I, I have no qualms about talking about it. I was, I was very neurotic. I was, I was very anxious, overly anxious. I had panic attacks and I, I really had this, this total fear of dying. And, um, and so those three weeks went by. Uh, the doctor did the test. He kindly told me I did not inherit my dad's condition and that in fact the heart palpitations had come from gas buildup, that I was too anxious, I was too stressed and I needed to just lay low for a while, but that I had a clean bill of health. And, uh, it made sense to me. Um, not all of it made sense, but that part made sense and I was so pleased. I went home and I lay on my bed and that this relief washed over me and I said, thank God. Hmm. And honestly, that was God's sovereignty. He, he really came to me at that point and I acknowledged God and it was really at that very moment where I was born again because he really came to me and made it clear that he was God. Right. And, and I, and it just made sense to me. I all of a sudden understood that he was God and that I'd been ignoring him and, uh, that I had been really just not doing uh, anything that was um, right or good in his eyes. And so uh, it was scary to realize that God was real. Um, I, I couldn't comprehend it. Uh, I just knew it was true. I knew he was real. And so then I went and bought a Bible and started reading it. And I, I really, the first thing I read was, was Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And I immediately recognized that uh, Jesus uh, is God and uh, be, began then the process of understanding uh, my sinfulness and my need for him and, and, and things along those lines. Sure, yeah. Well, once you began to rethink your spirituality, though, once you began to read and accept the Bible as you've described, did you immediately come to the conclusion that homosexual behavior is contrary to the will of God, or, or did you initially take more of a liberal stance? Initially, I took more of a liberal stance. Um, there were pragmatic reasons for that and uh, then there were just spiritual growth reasons the pragmatic reasons being that um, I had a 10-year uh, relationship with Benji um, we had a life uh, together we had a place that we lived in we had a dog a very sweet uh, black lab um, we had also of course our career that we were building and it was really building and growing the magazine was just kicking off our new magazine. We were uh, on the cover of a school library journal, which is a, a major um, publication that recommends uh, things for the high schools to uh, purchase or to share with their youth. And so that was a major coup for us to get on the cover of that because it meant that our magazine was gonna, going to be respected and put in all the high schools. And of course, that was one of the major aspects of our agenda was to get to the younger people as young as possible to sure. prevent their minds from being hardened against homosexuality. So we were very excited. And so I uh, was confused, obviously, um, about uh, the Bible and how it related to um, me and my sexuality and my whole uh, trajectory of life. And so for a while, I really did feel that maybe God was calling me to be a voice uh for um, gay Christianity. So I really um, spent some time uh, researching, meeting people. I, I read uh, the good book by Peter Gomes from Harvard where he made the, made a, made a, made the case that um, you know homosexuality is uh, not at all uh, 
not at all uh, seen as bad from God's perspective, but in fact, that's just our modern misconceptions of it. And I really latched on to those viewpoints and felt that I could uh, change people's minds even further about homosexuality within a Christian context. Now that I felt like I had this grounding of of Christ, I could then speak even maybe with even more authority about Christianity. Sure. Well, what is it that led you to the conclusion that homosexual behavior is, in fact, contrary to the will of God? Time and uh, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, continually convicting me. Um, the process of sanctification that is such a, a wonderful process uh, that obviously continues uh, every day and um, to this day um, and will continue, you know, even as we're having this conversation. Sure. Um so uh it really if i try to remember it was it was really just a process of you know the holy spirit convicting me of my sins and being praise god being being honest enough and sincere enough to want to respond to this the the spirit's conviction and and look at uh what it was he was showing me in my life and and say oh wow really <laughs> you know i mean it's some sometimes today it's like that even when when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something and you don't even realize what you've been doing wrong or, or what you did the day before and you say, oh man, I didn't even realize that. And, you know, you kind of confess, confess that to the Lord and, and, you know, He is, of course, faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and also cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so that was a process and it still is a process, but, uh, praise God that, um, it didn't take too long, uh, before I got to the point of making a major decision about homosexuality right yeah well so one thing that that a lot of people i'm sure are wondering there are plenty of people who will leave the homosexual lifestyle only to remain celibate you know they'll they'll accept what you have about the biblical condemnation of homosexual behavior but they'll for whatever reason maybe they're just convinced they'll never never be able to develop feelings of attraction to members of the opposite sex they'll like i said they'll just remain celibate is that the case with you do you simply choose to be celibate and deny whatever feelings that you might still have towards men or, or have your desires in fact changed and do you find yourself attracted to women today well, I do, and um, but uh, I think it's important to to talk about the celibacy thing a little bit. Um, you know, I think people just don't trust Christ. Um, I think uh, the cross is so sufficient to wash away all our sins and cleanse us and and to put us on the right track. And I am just one of many, many people I've met um, over the over the last few years who you know, are just so full of joy in their new uh, found life in Christ, their completely whole uh, sexual identity, uh, their heterosexuality, if you want to call it that, um, who are married with kids. I get people sending me pictures of their kids. you got to understand that this is not the way that Satan wants people to think. And so <laughs> our, our world is um, really, 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 really predominantly focused on the idea that um, we are lost. We are losers in this battle. Um, we are we are losers in the battle against sin. Um, and the idea that we are losers um, really uh, permeates even some of the... I'm not going to talk negatively about any of the um, groups that are out there to help people heal, but but there can always be that sense of victim mentality or victimhood where we feel like we have lost. We have just lost this battle. Mm. And um, we have victory in Christ. 
And uh, it's so important that we remember that. Uh, and of course, that he, you know, that is in us is much, much greater than he that's in the world. And we really need strong faith. And I, I really believe, honestly, that uh, Christ allows, God allows people, uh, some people to go through particularly challenging sins. And, and again, homosexuality is just one of many sins. Yeah. And, and to say that we should just, um, admit defeat over our sins and say, you know, that Christ isn't good enough is, is honestly, it's, it's pride. Yeah. And, and, and so from God's perspective, it doesn't sound good to say that to somebody. You're being prideful when, you know, you're struggling. And I'm not saying that we should be insensitive to struggles. I think there's a whole body of thought that needs to really go into actual Christian love and outreach for people who are facing homosexual temptation. I think we need to really shift the way that we are approaching this issue and actually open our arms to people in homosexuality with clarity, truth, and love and tell them, we love you. We, Of course we know what you're doing is, is difficult and, and not right, and of course it's not right in God's eyes. But we're going to help you heal through it. We're going to help you be victorious over it. And we're going to help you have a new life. Yeah. And uh, I've seen so much of that. I've seen so much victory. And I just know uh, in my own gut that, that Christ is, you know, so sufficient that, um, that I can't help but want to just preach that message, you know, more than any other. Um, and just say, you know, look to Christ. Look to the cross. And, and he will give you all that you need to get out of whatever sin you're in, whether I, you know, it doesn't even matter what it is. He's good enough. <laughs> sure. Yes. And so, so to get back to your question of, of me personally, you know, I have struggled with many sins in my life and I'm sure you personally have too. And whoever might be listening has also struggled with sins. And to say, you know, that we um, will never uh, have temptation again is just not, uh, not accurate. Um, now to say though, that, that we can get out of one sin and and to move out of it is true. I mean, many people can attest to the fact that uh, getting out of homosexuality can be a wholehearted and clean process where they really never experience same-sex desires again. And for me, that is something that I have enjoyed uh, watching take place in my life. I have enjoyed... Um, watching the Lord, uh, as I have yielded to his spirit, I have enjoyed watching him go really to the roots of those same-sex desires, uproot those those desires, demonstrate to me where they came from and how they really were uh, abnormal, and, um, and then in its place, um, just sort of fill in the gap with my true nature, my true sexuality, and uh, and I and I really just I'm so excited about that and also so confident because not only do I know it's true because I've seen it in my own life, but I am confident that God is capable of doing the same thing in others' lives. Yeah, I can imagine how exciting it must be to to watch that transformation takes place. I can certainly <laughs> relate with you know the sins I struggle with. Uh, so what are some of the typical reactions that you get to your life story? You know, both positive, negative, and and everything in between. <laughs> Well, well, well. <laughs> there, there are so many reactions. Um, I, I really, I really like Sarah Palin, uh, the the governor of Alaska. I've liked her since she appeared on the on the scene, and 
I, I, I enjoy watching, you know, be, being that I'm in, I've, I'm in media and I've been in media. I'm not really active in it now, but I still, you know, my mind is still really active in thinking about it. Um, it's amazing the prince of the power of the air, the way that Satan really, uh, speaks untruth and then watches those things just fly. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to discern what's true in this world, uh, with all of the falsehoods that are out there. Certainly if you were, if you were to Google Sarah Palin's name, you'd see a lot of things out there that are, are, are probably not true. I don't know the lady personally, but I, I can certainly just see because I, I do have a sort of, I feel this kinship with her in the way that she was, um, really treated by the, the world system. In its effort to use media and to use uh, popular opinion and to try to shape that, and so I see the same thing with me. I, I, I Google my name and I see all these interesting <laughs> things come up, and I, and you know I, I have felt led by the Lord to not be fully uh, an active uh, ex-gay uh, quote-unquote uh, person. Um, I'm more uh, trying to learn His Word and follow. Uh, his uh, in his footsteps and and be a servant and and do my best to serve him and and that doesn't always mean uh, talking about this issue so it's not something that I've spent uh, all of my energy doing and he hasn't really asked me to do that at this point sure uh, and so I haven't spent a lot of time going out there to try to set the record straight uh, about me or anything like that because the time is not right for that. Um, that said, uh, when this New York Times thing came out, this, well, see, I didn't know it was going to be New York Times. Benoit and I worked together at XY. We were, we were not really friends. I just wanted to be clear about that. We just worked together. He, he shaped it as I was an old friend and that was his narrative. Um, and, uh, you know, I was reticent. I did not want to do it. Uh, he told me he was going to come seek me out, uh, in Wyoming, uh, and, I thought, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, and I, again, I, I was not seeking out uh, any sort of public speaking or media, just trying to learn God's word, um, serving in a church. And so eventually uh, he, he seemed to convince me, I guess. I prayed about it. The Lord uh, didn't say no in any way that I could discern. And so I had a lot of praying uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, professors, pastors, we were all praying while I was in the cafe talking with Benoit, uh, about all these things. Every, there were all these prayer warriors. Um, so I was pleased that the Lord used some of the things I said in that New York Times. I feel like he shepherded some of the truth through, through to that article. And so it's just neat to see him working even, you know, amidst all the, all the weird things that people say. Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question more directly, uh, you said, how, how have people reacted? Certainly some people, uh, have reacted with praising God and, uh, and other people have reacted with uh, skepticism and then other people have reacted just with fury or anger. And, um, within the Christian world, it's, it's fun to see Christians kind of be revealed, you know, their true nature be revealed. Um, because, you know, I've seen, I've learned a lot, you know, about Christians and, you know, who are, who are true believers and who are just maybe professing 
Christians who, when it really comes down to the really sticky issues, uh, will back away from the truth mm. and really take the side of untruth and, and start to persecute those who are standing for the truth. And I've really seen that. It's, it's hard to experience when, uh, you know, a few years ago, I was very vulnerable uh, when I first kind of was a new Christian and this was all new to me. I was very vulnerable. So I was really susceptible to all of those kind of evil things that take place. Now I, I see it more and I, I'm, I'm ready to respond to it. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that New York Times piece. Um, I mean, what, what, what were some other thoughts that maybe you've had besides the ones you've already articulated during the time that you spent with Benoit? And, and what do you think of the article now that it's been published? Well, I think the article is interesting in that, as I said, um, God was able to shepherd truth in that article amidst all the falsehoods. And I believe that it could have an impact um, on people, uh, certainly even in some subtle way that they remember that there was a story uh, about a guy uh, leaving homosexuality. Um, just that in and of itself is enough uh, power to... Uh, transform the myth that, uh, you know, homosexuality is fixed. Mm. And so that in and of itself is a blessing. Um, the fact that Benoit didn't go as violently uh, opinionated as he easily could have, I felt was uh, a response to prayer. I really felt that God in his grace even had a, had a hand in that, had a, had a part in that. Um, now, certainly Benoit has his worldview, and he tried to inject that as as much as he could. And, you know, it was ironic being that, that you are a Calvinist, you probably have a good logical thinking, uh, apologetic type mind, but <laughs> it was ironic to see the comments that so, so many people seem to really like so many people in the relativistic world, the secular humanist relativistic world really liked the comments that my former partner, uh, Benji made where he said, you know, an extremist is an extremist. Uh, you know, they believe that something is true and then they hold to it. And that statement in and of itself is an extreme believing <laughs> that something is true statement. And I, I've appreciated watching some good-minded people out there point that out and say he just refuted his own argument by his argument. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's been fun to, to watch the comments. Um, it's been fun to watch people respond. To it, uh, I obviously enjoy uh, political discourse, um, but obviously it's also been disheartening, and um, it's something that uh, I don't I don't know what's going to happen next for me personally in this whole arena, because as I said, it's not my identity. I don't want this this to be my life, but at the same time, if God calls me to do certain things, um, I'll do them. Sure. Well, I want to talk about just a couple more things um, specific to this article. Uh, there, there's a quote by a guy named Peter Ian Cummings in that article, and he says, In retrospect, Michael's sexuality almost felt more theoretical than real to me. Maybe this gay or queer identity that fascinated him wasn't really true for him. And, and this is sort of indicative of a question that I think many might have, which is whether or not you were really ever gay to begin with. Uh, on the other <laughs> hand, on the, I know I can understand why you'd laugh, but, but on the other hand, many wonder if maybe you're in denial now about your sexuality, such as the author of an article at something called LGBTQ Nation. Um, this, this author wrote, I have known far, far too many of these 
quote-unquote ex-gays who maintain that Jesus really did fix them, even though they know just as well as I do that they are still attracted to the same sex as much as ever. Now, how would, is, how would you respond to those like these quotes I've read who are potential, who are perhaps so certain that sexuality is innate and immutable that they are c- convinced that you've either never been truly homosexual or are not truly heterosexual now? Well, I'm sure it's a great question that, that many of your listeners are wanting to know uh, the answer to. Um, the folks there at that it was the LGBTQ nation, uh, when he says, I have known many, I really don't think he's known many ex-gays. He might have seen uh, news clips. He might have watched things go down. But uh, whether he's actually known them is a, is a different story. Sure. I was just doing a Bible study last night uh, looking at the first chapter of John where these uh, Pharisees, these these Jews are coming and they say, we want to know who you are to John the Baptist. and We want to know who you are. And honestly, I don't really think they wanted to know. If they really wanted to know, they would have known who he was and they would have been able to recognize the Lord. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of blindness. And I think on the part of Christians who claim ignorance, uh, they are lying to themselves and they're lying to the Lord. Uh, saying, oh, I just am so skeptical that this is possible. Well, just listen to the truth. Listen to the voice of the truth and you'll find out uh, what is true. Listen to the word of God and you'll find out what is true. And so uh, I'm, I, I don't really want to spend a lot of time uh, trying to argue because <laughs> I'm, I'm asked by the Lord to avoid foolish arguments. And this is a foolish argument. Um, the truth is that uh, when Peter Ian Cummings was always... A very, a very curious individual. Um, he, I'm not going to try to uh, attack or, or, or say anything negative about him, but his comments, oh, Michael's sexuality was theoretical, are about as ridiculous as anything I've ever heard. I mean, what does that mean, that someone's sexuality is theoretical? I certainly like to think about stuff, and, and, and <laughs> I, I enjoyed uh, thinking but I also acted out. I also had physical desires for men, and I acted out on them, and I lived a gay life. I could go into detail about that life if Peter wants me to, but I don't think anybody listening would really be interested in listening to that. <laughs> I easily could. And uh, so I don't know. what I think that's just a, a smokescreen. Hmm. Uh, I think if, if they can, you know, everybody's out there uh, who, who has any interest in, in, in my particular story is who's who doesn't like it is out there trying their best to divert from the truth and and so they'll say whatever they want to say peter can say oh his sexuality was theoretical that might sound good it it doesn't actually hold any sort of weight it it actually sounds ridiculous to me does my does my sexuality uh, manifest itself as a as a predominantly theoretical i mean i don't even know what that means i mean if i if i think about you know, I'm looking out at my lawn, and there's my grass. Does that mean that my grass is only theoretical because <laughs> I'm just looking at it and thinking about it? Or does that mean the grass is actually there? It, it's possible Peter comes from a postmodern uh, relativistic perspective where he believes there's no absolute reality and everything is just relative and it's all about perception and perception is reality and all that mumbo-jumbo. But I, I personally believe that my grass is actually there, yeah. and whether I think about it or not. And, and that's, that's actually a, a worldview that not everybody shares, you know. Um, now, was I a gay man? Well, yeah, heck yeah. I, I was in, in these homosexual relationships, and I was very adamant about uh, trying to um, change everybody's mind to, to, to make them accept gay people. And why did I want to do that? Because I probably wanted acceptance for myself. Hmm. So, um, 
So did I did I change? Well, yeah, because I don't do that anymore, and and I don't have desires anymore. And I've got a, a woman that I'm I'm spending a lot of time with right now. This has happened since the New York Times article, so um, that's working really well. I'm praising God for that. The other day I, we were at, at coffee, and I, I walked down the street uh, really happy, and I was singing with the birds, and you know it was, it was great. Um, what, is that theoretical? You know, I, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't care what people think. Uh, this is my life and it was a great, uh, coffee date. I had a wonderful time. I'm looking forward to getting to know her better. Um, if, if the, the Lord has in store that we could uh, form a relationship, I'd be really pleased. Um, because, wow, that would be wonderful to be able to not just get out of homosexuality, um, you know, but to actually start to get back on the right track and, and have, you know, a, a real, Good, wholesome, uh, Christian, uh, life. I can have, I would love to have kids. I've always wanted to have kids. And, uh, so it would just be wonderful to, to have everything work out in that way. And, and so I'm hoping that it does. And, and man, you know, people, people are silly. Yeah, you know, I agree. Honestly, honestly, when I saw, I saw a lot of people responded to that New York Times thing and they're probably, you've probably got these skeptic people out there. And honestly, they're, they're just Pharisees. They, it's like, you know, the truth is the truth. And, and there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of time that they want to spend analyzing what somebody else thinks or analyzing, um, what somebody else, you know, what somebody else really, uh, quote unquote is as opposed to actually wanting to talk to that person directly. Sure. There's a lot of people out there blab blab blabbing about michael glatz who have never sent me an email and said hey you know i heard this or that about you and i'm actually curious about the truth yeah i want to know the truth so can i talk to you directly so you know it's it's just really silly that people will talk uh about things that they claim are true behind somebody else's back as opposed to just going directly to that person that's why the lord jesus tells us go directly to the person Right. It's not just because he's giving us some legalistic expectation. He's saying, if you want the truth, well, go for the truth. But honestly, I think a lot of people aren't really interested in the truth. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think that they're, uh, they, they don't want to believe that this kind of transformation is possible. And so they'll just assume that that's the case and criticize you as, you know, having not experienced such a transformation. But, but I'll, you know, you mentioned happiness. You mentioned the singing with the birds thing that brought a smile to my face. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I'll admit struck me when I first read the article, um, was the picture at the beginning. And, and I suspect that there was some creative editing here, or, you know, there was, <laughs> a, there was probably a reason why they chose this photo, but in it, you don't look particularly happy. Um, what should, what should we make, if anything? I wasn't, I wasn't very happy when the, when I was, I, I really enjoyed my life in school. Um, I was having a good, you know, everything was going fine. And then here I am in my nice little town. Everything's great. And these these two, you know, funny dressed New York photographers show up <laughs> and they say, you know, we're, we're going to take your picture today for this New York Times article. And I'm thinking to myself, great, New York Times, the most one of the most liberal, if not the most liberal publications out there, very anti-Christian, very pro-gay. Uh, so what, what is this all going to be about? You know, is Benoit going to just be totally trashing, dragging my name through the mud? And, and is, am, is, is this going to ram, is this going to have ramifications on my life? What's going to happen, uh, to my life, uh, with an article in the New York Times and now my picture too? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, so so what does that mean to my life? And these were realistic fears. Plus, I wanted to represent the Lord, and so I was really praying, praying, praying. You know, God, I mean, this is my physicality that's going to be on display. I want to, uh, if there's any way, you know, I can't write Jesus on my forehead, but if there's any way that I can point to you, um, please help help me do that. And and so I really felt that the the expressions that I had were in response to all the realities. Uh, about this particular issue. It's not an easy issue. It's not um, an issue, I think, that our society has a grasp on. I think people are moving in the wrong... A lot of people are moving in the wrong direction. I think there's a lot of severity uh, involved from God's perspective. Certainly, God is not pleased with uh, what um, our society is doing. And I, I didn't feel... You know, what, would a picture of Michael Glatz walking down the street whistling to the birds, <laughs> would that have been at all appropriate for an article uh, about uh, getting out of homosexuality that was going to be in a very pro-gay publication? Would that, would that be appropriate? And I, I don't feel the Lord uh, told me that it was, was appropriate. Uh, obviously, we've laughed in our conversation here. I have a, I have a pretty, um, I like, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm a pretty funny person. Uh, I certainly make people laugh, and, and I like to laugh. And so it's not that that I don't enjoy life. I thoroughly more so, so much more enjoy life now than I did when I was gay. Uh, so, the, but but at the same time, I feel like that was where I was kind of led to to go in terms of the physical appearance thing, which was this is a serious issue, and uh, you know I hope that there was some severity there. In, in, even in my in, even in my gaze, uh, looking right at the camera, with a sense of you know, and what's so interesting is I think that uh, the truth of Christ is so powerful. But you know, when someone is saved from the world, when someone is plucked out of this world, as as we Christians who are who are real Christians, you know, led and empowered and infilled, filled by the in indwelt, I should say, by the Holy Spirit. Um, who this has really happened to, that we've been baptized into the body of Christ, well, we're no longer part of the world. Yeah. And so when the world sees us, they see these weird, uh, strange, you know, from the world perspective, sad, uh, lost, uh, dead creatures. You know, and, and so in truth, we have been crucified and now we have new life. And it's the new life that, 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 they, that they would love to have if they, if they could. Um, and so it's funny to, to, to watch the, the reactions to, the, to that photo, uh, which is obviously I'm not going to, uh, if I wanted to, I don't know, I wouldn't use that photo in other contexts, but sure. that's where I felt that the Lord was leading me in that particular context. Yeah, I understand. It's interesting to see people say, oh, he looks so sad in that photo, because um, praise God if, if that's how they feel. You know, because then then what's happening on a spiritual level is they're not able to just dismiss me or my story, but instead they connect on a heart level hmm. and they think, oh, this poor Michael Glatz. And, and then it's like, I, I can't get out of their minds. Yeah, that's a good point. And, I, and, I, and that's not something I thought about ahead of time. It's just something I've, I've discerned uh, afterwards. Sure. And, and, you know, if they, if they feel a, an emotional connection with you, it might lead them to be more likely to reach out to you personally rather than go and, you know, spread rumors about you on the internet as, yeah. <laughs> as we're yeah, going to get through the moment. That has happened since that New York Times article. One guy, uh, you know, oh, you look so sad. Oh, you know, and, and I said, you know what, Mark, you're, you're not actually telling me what you really feel. And he mm. said, what do you mean? I said, 
you don't really, it's not this fake pity thing. You know, you're not so concerned about Michael Glatz. You don't know me. You don't, you don't care about me. You're not concerned about me. You want to change my mind. And the reason why you want to change my mind is because at, at, at your gut level, you know that I'm telling the truth. Yeah. And, and he's, and he honestly, he, he praised God. He said, yeah, you know what? I, I do. I know you're telling the truth. My gut tells me you're telling the truth. And, and so, it was a, it was an open door, and and then he's not the only one that has come to me as a result of that article, where um, I've been able to connect on a spiritual level and um, really uh, strengthen their faith in Christ, and to bring them to a sense of you know uh, awareness that um, this is not just one guy and not just one me, you know, it's 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 reality and uh, it's a great reality and it's it's a much more um, it's a much more wonderful reality than all the fake ones that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. My oh, man. Well, so th- there was some feedback that a friend of mine got uh, to your article that I'm that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Th- this this person felt like um somebody who holds so firmly to a particular view and then in a very short period of time relatively speaking anyway does such a complete 180 is really indicative of someone with maybe some psychological issues. How would you respond to those listening who think that I guess as a, in short, uh, who, who think that maybe you're crazy and that you're, yeah. this dramatic transformation isn't really about God, but is instead a very, uh, emotionally troubled and mentally unstable man being sort of tossed and blown about by every wind. Right, you know? right, right. Maybe I am crazy. I love, I love that song, the Gnarls Barkley song, crazy. <laughs> uh, and, and what's funny is all those same accusers, uh, will have no problem calling themselves crazy and thinking it's really fun. Sure. Um, that is just a red herring, and it's just a ridiculous comment. Um, and uh, how do we judge whether someone else is crazy? Well, obviously there are, are clinical uh, tests, and obviously there are actual people who have mental um, instability. And, um, and you know, those people who have trouble uh, relating, um, whether um, you can – I'm not saying somebody with autism is crazy, but – Somebody with autism has has difficulty relating. Um, somebody uh, with Down syndrome is born um, with uh, challenges, and uh, somebody with uh, real schizophrenia has a lot of challenges. One of my friends was was killed because he um, was walking out onto a, a street because he heard voices that told him to go out there, and uh, so he had actual you know mental illness. And I've served as a chaplain in a hospital uh, in, out in California with people with actual mental illness. And I think anybody who is interested in the truth, again, um, is going to de- discern and determine what is actually true. Uh, so those people who have struggles that are real, um, it really, it really <laughs> is very frustrating to me that... Um, the same people who would say, you know, Michael Glatz is crazy. Um, are those people actually concerned about somebody who actually is crazy? Mm. Are they actually concerned about somebody who's not as privileged as they are as they sit there and just cast aspersions and cast accusations upon somebody who they've never actually reached out to personally? Um, while all the people who do struggle on a daily basis, as I mentioned, just three examples uh, with autism, Down syndrome, and actual mental illness, um, are they actually reaching out to those individuals? Do they actually care about somebody who, in their perspective, is crazy? Now, 
that's just sort of a call to action for those individuals. Sure. Uh, now, uh, I think anybody who's really interested in the truth um, can hear from my voice that um, I uh, am doing the best I can to be clear and articulate in, in our interview. And if you wanted to uh, contact me directly, we could have a wonderful conversation. And I'm sure you would find out from me and, and my friends and and everybody around me that knows me that um, you know you could then discern <laughs> who I am for yourself and and figure out whether you think I'm crazy. Sure. So I think it's a I, I I almost I almost refuse to go there. You know, again, I find it to be one of those foolish arguments. I I don't need to defend my sanity. Uh, to uh, people who have no ground on which they stand. Yeah, no, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to shift gears in a few minutes and talk about... I will say this, oh, I will ahead. say this. Your friend or whoever this was, and, and again, these are all false accusations. Uh, these are all false accusations. This individual who said, oh, 180 degrees, I can't imagine it. You know, that person is lying. They can imagine it. If they wanted to see 180-degree transformations, they would just have to open their eyes. The most prominent one would be the Apostle Paul. Yeah. And, and so, if you know, these people are lying, and I think it's important that we don't just sit back as Christians and pretend that we should play by the rules established by the world system. That's not the way Christ operates, and, and Christ calls for love, not just sort of a false, fake love. And love includes truth, and with the two, uh, there's a lot of power. And so the truth is, anybody who says, oh, I can't imagine somebody with 180-degree change, well, that person is just admitting their ignorance, because if they could open their eyes, they would do more than imagine it. They would see it. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, well, so as, as I was saying, I want to shift gears in a moment and talk about the biblical view of marriage and sexuality. But there, there's some criticisms that I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to that I found in writing on the Internet. Um, and I want to start with what might actually concern some of my regular listeners who are typically, you know, conservative Orthodox Christians. Uh, WorldNet Daily published a couple of articles that we mentioned uh, back in July of 2007, one written by you, another about you. And my understanding is that at that time, you were a member of what, you know, we typically call the Mormon Church, that is the LDS or Latter-day Saint Church. And then uh, what's more, back in 2009, an author at xgaywatch.com wrote that Glatz is again working for the Shambhala, Shambhala Mountain Center, which has a Buddhist meditative theme. So uh, the question I have for you is, should my listeners be concerned about how biblical or orthodox you are, given your time as a Mormon and your involvement with this seemingly Buddhist-themed retreat? Well, I can't tell you what your listeners should or shouldn't be concerned about. I can tell you uh, that um, if they seek uh, the truth in uh, in their lives and in my life, then they should seek the truth. Um, now, uh, my story includes a, a three-month uh, stint as a Mormon, and it's not something I'm uh, saying was a good decision. Um, but uh, at the time, uh, let me do my best. If anybody who's listening, who's actually not just closing their mind, uh, but is actually listening... Um, when I uh, left uh, my gay life, my gay magazine, my gay relationship, my gay household, my gay friends, um, I left with no money, and I left with no friends, and I left with a Bible. And um, it wasn't easy for me to do that. It was a very difficult time. Um, I wasn't uh, sure uh, about the decisions that the Lord, I felt, was leading me to make. 
about homosexuality, I wasn't sure about anything. I was very fragile, and I needed work. I, I found a temp job. I was in a country that wasn't mine uh, of birth. I was in Canada because I had moved to Canada with my ex-boyfriend. So I was struggling. Um, I, I don't don't have a major family. I, I just have some relatives uh, who are cousins and aunts. So I didn't have a lot of people I could reach out to. I uh, don't have a wealthy family. So I really couldn't ask for money from anybody. I was struggling uh, very, very much so there in 2006. And so uh, I was working at a university in a temp job. And these guys uh, were very friendly. And uh, I made friends with them. And they said they were Christians, and they um, told me, you know, yeah, well, we know lots of girls. We could, you know, we could hook you up, you know, and uh, and they were Mormons. And uh, so before long, I found myself thinking, well, gosh, these guys are so nice. They're so moral, <laughs> and uh, they really were so moral. And I was so pleased because I had not ever lived in a more like a real moral community, at least since I was a kid. I've been in this so completely immoral life that I was really hungry for a sense of belonging, a sense of family, and a sense of uh, of morality. And so I really uh, clung to the Mormons then. I thought, oh, this is great. And I remember sending an email to my aunt out in Hawaii. And now I hadn't been close to my family in years. They had they had being that my aunt was a Christian, she had told me, you know, in not so many words that you know she really didn't didn't really approve of, of my gay lifestyle. So we, we had been kind of estranged. I didn't really have a close relationship with anybody. I couldn't just reach out and, and say, well, here I am today. Yeah, everything's different. And uh, so I do I do remember sending her an email, though, and saying, uh, there's these Mormons, you know, that what should I, you know, should I get involved with them? And she sent in all capital letters, do not get involved with the Mormons. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I heard her voice, but I still did. I still went to the Mormons, and um, I was in their church for about three months, and uh, and and really, uh, I saw a lot. I learned a lot, and uh, I didn't uh, stay because I eventually found that they didn't worship the same Jesus, yeah. and uh, it was something that was really hard for me to. It's still it's still hard for me to even talk about because it's embarrassing, um, but also it's. It's funny because why did that happen? You know, why why did why did I go to the Mormons and not to another Christian church? And I, I'm not trying to place blame because I don't believe that's a Christian thing to do. I think we should take responsibility for our actions. But as I think about it, I think, well, you know what? I could certainly uh, do a better job as a Christian, um, kind of standing for morality. And giving people like I was back then a sense that, yes, this is a place where you can come. This is a place where you can feel uh, a sense of family and a sense of moral conviction. And so I learned a lot from that experience. Now, the Buddhist thing, um, again, at that time, 2006, 2005, uh, 2006, I was living in uh, a community in Canada and there were Buddhists that that were there. And I actually sought out Buddhist meditation because I was trying to figure out how to get to the roots of my desires. Hmm. And so it was something I sought out. Um, now, I again, I had been, only been a Christian for a few months. I didn't know 
that um, how how strident God is about um, moral clarity, uh, about purity, and about the fact that He is a jealous God, and, and that our first commandment obviously is to not have any other gods. I I didn't even really know a lot about that stuff. So I just figured it was, again, this was part of the phase of I thought I could be a gay Christian, too. So, you know, I was in this almost syncretism stage where I was, uh, you know, curious, trying to figure out what what was what. And I did spend some time with these Buddhists and, and learning some of these meditative techniques, which I felt at the time might be able to give me some clarity around my desires because Buddhism some of the teachings there are all about getting rid of, you know, desires. Hmm. Now, ultimately, I would find that the word of God would be so much more powerful than any of those uh, other uh, traditions that I had spent some time in. Right. Now, when I when I went back to California, um, which is I, I fortunately I got a job uh, back in California and my sister lives there and I went out there and that was alluded to a little bit in the New York Times article. Um I was struggling there. I was in, I had been in the Mormons. And so then I was kind of like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is obviously not right. And I was really kind of just shaken by everything I'd been through. I was having doubts. Uh, people, you know, people attacked me so he- heavily saying that I was an evil person for for coming out of uh, of the gay lifestyle. They said I was, you know, a traitor and that I was just this horrible, hateful person that I honestly I wasn't strong enough. I didn't have a church family. I didn't have any support uh, other than people praying for me that I didn't really know. I just knew they were, you know, but I didn't remember it all the time. And so I was struggling there. And um, I, I remember that was when, you know, I even called my ex-boyfriend and I said, I'm, I'm struggling because he was somebody I knew for 10 years, you know. Yeah. So I called him and I said, you know, I'm struggling and I, I think I might have done something wrong. And and, you know, I felt because everybody was telling me I had done something wrong. I felt like I needed to apologize to people who I'd hurt. And uh, now I, I didn't feel like I was gay again, but I just felt like I'd done something wrong. Hmm. And and I was just confused and conflicted. And he said, I'll help you write a statement. You know, we can tell the whole world that you take it all back. And, and that didn't that didn't seem right to me. Um, and so I, I couldn't rely on him. I, I had my sister and she's great. She's not a Christian. Um, I had other friends. I formed other friendships. I had a job. I, I, and I you know, first I would sit in the back of, of big, big churches there in San Francisco. Um, but, uh, it, for some reason I, I, I chose not to seek out uh, a Bible believing church. I should have, uh, perhaps, but I didn't. And, mm-hmm. um, what what eventually happened was um, one of my friends said, you know what you should do, Michael, is you should just get I actually went to a therapist for a little while because I thought maybe I was, you know, I had problems, you know. And honestly, I was trying to process everything I'd been through. And uh, from all of a sudden, you know, being this gay activist to all of a sudden or gay political figure or whatever to, to all of a sudden being kind of thrown up as a as a as an ex-gay poster child, people wanting me to come and speak at their conferences, and then at the same time, hateful emails, people literally calling me, Wayne Wayne Besson, a, a gay rights guy, you know, literally calling me and swearing at me on the phone, wow. and, and all this stuff happening to me, and all this, at the same time, God was wanting to bring up my grief from my parents, and God was wanting to bring up the actual, like, physical and spiritual healing that needed to take place in me, Sure, you know, 
And so, so I would have people telling me, you need to lay low. You need to disappear. You need to ground yourself in your faith. I had one guy send me an email, say, you know, do you know what sanctification is? And I honestly didn't. And, and he said, well, I think you need to spend at least a year or two figuring out what it is. And this was wisdom. God was providing wisdom. I needed to stop. I had spent my whole life go, go, go from, you know, an early age through high school, getting the best grades, getting to the top of the class, getting into an Ivy League school, getting into the top of the movement, go, go, go. And so it was like God and everybody around me who was um, helpful was saying, just stop. Yeah. And so it, it, a, an opportunity opened up to work at uh, one of the uh, retreat centers that that community, the Buddhist community owned up in Colorado in the, in the Rocky Mountains. And of course, I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't think, you know, that that would be wrong, uh, or unbiblical, uh, because I didn't know enough uh, about Christianity. I didn't know enough about the Bible. Um, and so I, all I saw, uh, the opportunity to go live in a cabin in the woods and yeah. to get away from it all and to spend, uh, much necessary time, uh, trying to kind of cope with everything. Once I got there, uh, well, you know, I started to learn uh, a lot. I started to learn uh, more uh, about in, in peace. I started to learn about my own faith, my true faith in, in Christ. And I started to really um, grow as a Christian, ironically, there uh, because uh, of the sort of very obvious not Christian around me. Um, I would go for walks on the street uh, outside of the res- uh, of the retreat place, I would read my Bible, and it was the first time I was actually reading Paul's epistles, the first time I was actually gaining a sense of the new life that I had in Christ and the gospel of grace. Mm. And uh, God used me, obviously, in, even though it was not uh, an ideal circumstance from God's perspective, he still used me to minister to some people there. Um, I was able to lead one guy to Christ, and he eventually left his job there. And um, there were some other opportunities, but really um, what ultimately happened was uh, I was almost um, forged by the obvious uh, evil and the obvious idolatry and all the other sort of demonic things that, that went went on up there to really hunger for Christ and Christ alone yeah. and to finally understand, uh, wow, okay, I need Jesus and he's the only thing I can rely on. And uh, at that point, I, I then happened, God's timing is so perfect, I happened to sort of connect with a wonderful Bible church, uh, being that they were the first real Bible church I'd ever been a part of since becoming a Christian. It was almost like, oh, wow, you know, this, <laughs> this is sweet. I, I, I love this. I, I could see truth in, in the eyes of the pastor. And he immediately, the first thing he said to me, that first service was, is there anything I can do to help you? And I could tell he was telling the truth. And that, I never looked back, you know, and, um, so, so there's a long story, but the thing is, that's the true story, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes true stories aren't just sound bites and snippets <laughs> and, and things that you can just kind of, uh, say without thinking about it. My life is an example of that. And, and, you know, my life is just my life. Uh, does that mean Christ is not Christ? No, I mean, he's He's wonderful. I love him. And does that mean I'm a perfect Christian? Well, you show me a perfect Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. None of us are. Well, that's a powerful story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, but, but, but I do want to talk now about some of the criticisms that may 
be of more concern to some of my guests that might be listening who are not believers or who do not share our view of sexuality. Um, according to some articles that I found, there were some troubling comments posted at your blog once um, about President Obama. Now, I'm not a fan of Obama's, <laughs> nor I suspect are many of my listeners, but a couple of those posts alleged to have been written by you, um, they do come across as kind of you know racist and, and, and some and they seem pretty problematic even for people like me who are critics of Obama's. So do you have any a response to those critics of yours who've objected to those blog posts and maybe said some inflammatory things about you as a result? Yeah, I do. And I'd love to respond to uh, anybody who's listening about uh, that whole uh, Obama comment uh, fiasco, which was really interesting to watch, again, as I've already talked about, because um, some, you know, sometimes it's like, it's almost, again, like, I, and I will get to the point here, but but it's like when I when I watched Sarah Palin's uh, tour that she did of the of the Northeast, and then she had one interview where she mentions one thing about uh, Paul Revere, and all of a sudden the the whole story uh, over the whole world is that Sarah Palin made this horrible gaffe about Paul Revere, mm. um, and and really you know that was actually not untrue the comment she made uh, and she was really just trying to articulate an appreciation for um, the historic place where she was standing at that very point um, and so it just it, again it shows that if people are interested in silencing the truth they will go to no ends to do that um, so I was there I was up there in, in that uh, Buddhist retreat center I was uh, I was trying to find my way, and um, I had a friend uh, named David, and um, he and I were were. I was pleased to find that he was uh, he was uh, not a liberal. Everybody else there was a very far left uh, liberal who who loved Obama and uh, loved uh, the whole liberal agenda. And um, I obviously um, was excited to to meet uh, this guy, and we had a lot of conversations as we were you know washing dishes and things like that. And uh, at one point, he made the comment that um, that what 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 is so difficult in our society is this this charge of racism that yeah. gets thrown, thrown around um, by people who um, are wanting to use that as um, as kind of a smokescreen to the reality of someone's opinions or the merit of someone's character. And and then we we really looked at it and we said, wow. That's really ironic. That's really kind of the opposite of what Martin Luther King Jr. had said about looking at the the content of someone's character as opposed to the color of their skin. Sure. And then then we said, wait a minute. You know, is it possible that um, the media and people, you know, out there uh, during the last election were um, unfairly focusing on the skin color of uh, Barack Obama? And making that uh, an issue as opposed to the merit of his character or of his experience or of his background. And we thought, well, you know what? It seems like that actually has taken place. And I remember uh, a Rush Limbaugh comment where he said something along the lines of uh, the fact that all of that had taken place and that Obama himself uh, is an African-American that that whole phenomenon could end up being counterproductive to civil rights and could set relations, uh, race relations back several decades. That was a comment that was made on one of those uh, radio stations. Right. 
and it really hit me that, you know what? That's actually true. Uh, by confusing the issue of racism and by using racism as this sort of target, um, we see it still today. Uh, the Tea Partiers are all called racists just because they don't support uh, the president. And so I thought to myself, well, that's really despicable. And, and you know, that's really disgusting that that, that that would take place. And so I do remember David and I commenting on all this stuff, and we just thought we'd put it online, you know. And um, and it, it really got uh, taken out of context and completely uh, taken as something that um, in, in, indicated that I personally uh, was a racist. And, uh, of course, in, in some ways, it's funny because that was the whole point uh, hmm. of, of what I was saying was that very thing, that um, people are so quick to use that charge of racism when, when they themselves may actually be the ones contributing to more racial discord. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I see uh, MSNBC newscasters, um, you know, say one recently, I think it was NBC, saying to, to Newt Gingrich that it wasn't that a little racist what you did. Well, honestly, the person who was asking the question was the one seeing people in terms of skin color, seeing racism and ready to jump down the throats, you know, saying, well, this is racism, this is racism. It's a very tragic thing. I, I know there's a great song um, by DC Talk from the 90s, Colored People, and, and it's, a, it's a great Christian group, obviously, and a, a great uh, song, and and the group itself is is made up of you know white and black and and everything in between. And the 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 message of that song is so wonderful um, that we are all various shades, but uh, we're all equal in God's eyes. Yeah. And honestly, and I think you probably agree, but honestly, I would say that based on what I've seen of our current president and others who share his policies, I don't think they see people as equal. No. I think they see, I think they see people as social classes. And I think that that kind of policy is actually quite racist because I think it continues to compartmentalize people in terms of skin color and then offer them different kinds of government approaches, different kinds of government handouts, which in a certain sense, psychologically and perhaps even realistically, uh, continue a, a segregation that's not necessary. So I'm pleased uh, by um, the conservative movement politically where I see uh, black, white, uh, you know, all sorts of individuals. And I, I love to read things like I love to read Lloyd Marcus's uh, comments where he he's a writer, obviously, and a Tea Partier, a black man. And he, he you know, he's very proud to be an American. I think he even says an unhyphenated American, not, so <laughs> not African-American, but very proud of his of his heritage um, and very proud of who he is as an American. And uh, I believe he's a Christian, too. And, and you know, see, that's the thing. Really, this is an issue about Jesus, again, because only in Christ are all of those distinctions literally uh, dis dis disintegrated. Mm. Only in Christ are, are all alike, no Jew and Gentile, and no slave and master. So, you know, it's and, th and that's why, you know, that's why Christianity was so powerful and still is so powerful to a lot of African Americans um, in our early America, when they literally were enslaved, um, and they really resonated with the gospel, because this was giving them a sense of freedom. And some of my favorite, uh, and I'm not trying to just say this as a political point, this is true, um, some of my favorite, uh, absolute favorite songs are the old Negro spirituals, because there's so much truth 
in what they're saying. There is so much soul in what they are understanding to be the freedom that is offered only in Christ. Yeah. And so honestly, I do get quite uh, adamant about this issue. I, I think when I hear somebody say, you know, quote unquote, is a racist, you're a racist. Well, you know, I get very angry about that because honestly, a Christian who's a true Christian is going to be called a racist in our world. A tea partier is going to be called a racist in our world because good has been turned into evil and evil has been turned into good. Yeah. And we have to, we can't just stand for this. We have to, honestly, I really feel we have to, we have to stand up and we have to speak the truth. And, uh, I would say the same thing, uh, about, um, all the other aspects of our political world when it comes to Christian truth. So I hope that answers that question. Well, I think it does. I think it answers it very well. And, and I, I would agree. Um, but there is another statement that is alleged to have come from you and, and, and posted at your blog, um, which has led some to accuse you of supporting bullying. Now, this is this in, in a certain sense, I suppose, is even nearer and dearer to my heart than the issue of uh, racism. Um, I was a very overweight child. I was the target of bullies all the way through high school, and, it, and it's left me very scarred to this day. Uh, and, and what's more, my 10-year-old son, despite being very physically and socially healthy, um, he's also been bullied this year for reasons that I can't really uh, grasp. So you can imagine how concerned I might be about bullying of any sort. And the question I have for you is, if you and I disagree to some extent when it comes to bullying, and maybe we don't, um, I'm not going to not going to argue with you here in this interview, but just in case there's anyone listening who might have an inaccurate understanding of where you stand on bullying, given some of those comments that are purported to have come from you, can you share your thoughts with us about about that issue, bullying? Uh, yes, Chris, I, I can. And, and you know, it's really interesting as I'm reflecting upon your question. It's like, am I running for a political office here? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, your position on bullying it's like I, I didn't know I had a position on bullying, honestly. <laughs> and and why why should Michael Glatz's position, uh, whether I had one or not, on on anything be of any of any value or interest to anybody? I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things, and I'm sure I'm sure uh, they're open for discussion. Um, you know, life is is full of that. But um, uh, I think what you're talking about, and I and so I hope that that my humor uh, comes across uh, through this, through the airwaves here as, as not trying to belittle uh, the topic uh, that you're bringing up. Hmm. Uh, I think what, what you're saying is, is, is this topic of bullying. Now it's not something I have a lot of background in um, whether uh, realistically uh, or, or, um, uh, or theoretically uh, or anything. Uh, I, I don't remember being um, someone who was bullied very much. Uh, I was more of a nerd um, kind of just a little geeky kid. I do remember uh, um, a lot of kids thinking I was just a, a dork and um, and and really kind of talking behind my back. Uh, so that was something that I guess something that still happens today. But but um, but uh, whether I was actually physically bullied, I don't remember that happening to me. Um, now uh, I think what you're talking about actually comes from I, I think it was a comments thread on on a on a blog and somehow uh you know i was in i was kind of involved in responding to some of the things that i made a mistake i should never have responded see people say a lot of things about you when you when you stand for truth like i have and what happens is sometimes you know for me i wanted to kind of set the record straight so i would actually go on some of the blogs i saw some of the things or people would tell me did you see what they said about you 
And so then I would actually go on there and be like, I want to set the record straight. And I'd try to have conversations. And I, I really failed at that because obviously um, that doesn't really work very well. And um, well, I don't think they're typically I don't think they're typically interested in having conversations. Well, well, that's why it doesn't work very yeah. well. I didn't know that. And, and so, you know, I mean, I, 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 people would have told me that. And then I would think to myself, I'm still going to do this. I can do this. You know, it, it was relying probably on my own uh, desire to to try to change people's minds and, and really I should just kind of let it go. Um, I've learned more. I, I still want to change people's minds though. I mean, I, I don't want people to know, uh, to think something that's not true, but, um, but anyway, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a hard thing because sometimes you just want to respond, you know, sometimes you just do. And, 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 uh, so I remember there was a conversation that started. I honestly don't remember the whole, the whole conversation, but somehow somebody was trying to back me into a corner and they were saying something about, um, do you believe that bullying is a good thing or, or something like that? So I don't exactly remember what I said, but I can remember um, the general idea I was trying to get across was that sometimes when, um, when our sort of society, now I wasn't referring, I don't think, to bullying, but for example, um, when, when somebody is doing something incorrect, when somebody is doing something wrong, um, I believe it's it's a natural response to want to tell them, you know, that they're doing something wrong. Hmm. So um, I, I believe that uh, t- there's too much political correctness uh, that says um, we are not, um, we we shouldn't be cruel to each other. Uh, we shouldn't we should be tolerant of everything somebody does. Does that mean I'm an advocate for gay bashing? No, it doesn't. Um, not at all, but um, there is a certain amount of um, truthful love that sometimes does manifest itself in disapproval. Um, it sometimes does manifest itself in um, disagreement, and uh, so when somebody is is um, sinning pretty actively, and I would I would love to see more Christians not bully that person, but to take a strong uh, adamant uh, stance against their activity. Yeah. But 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 see, people are so kind of stifled by our politically correct uh, language and this idea of can't we all just get along that a lot of Christians actually who could be speaking up more forcefully are kind of absolving themselves of that responsibility. So that was really what I was trying to get 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 at in that um, comment field, where you know if somebody is being um, is feeling, you know, a lot of um, people will say, "Oh, I'm so oppressed," you know, "I'm so oppressed." Uh, this person is oppressing me, or or they will say that Michael is is oppressing gay people now. He is he is he is the persecutor. Yeah, and and. And they become, in the Marxist worldview, which is predominant in our society, they become the celebrated victim of persecution. Yeah. And and I become, or anybody else who would be doing what I would be doing, become the bully. And so it it is this sort of this this mental um, game that is so predominant in our society. This accusation, see, the accusation of racist is very similar to the accusation of bully. Hmm. It's it's sort of an accusation that really throws dirt in the eye of the real issue that's going on. 
a Christian needs to stand for the truth. And you know what? If the Christian today really stands for the truth about homosexuality, they will be called a bully. They will be called a hater. Yeah. And uh, and I think that was where I was trying to go uh, with that. And obviously, um, that got uh, a little bit misconstrued as well. Yeah, I understand. So you so you're just basically saying that uh you know the culture has created this false dichotomy. You either you're either completely tolerant and and don't speak out at all about something that you perceive to be an improper behavior or you criticize it to any extent whatsoever and that automatically makes you a bully. And it, and that's sort of the the false distinction that you want to um bring out. It is. And 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 when I think about just kind of on an on a um sort of on the level of actual, you know, bullying um, obviously don't, don't think it's, it's, it's good for, for kids to beat up other kids. Um, obviously anybody in their right mind wouldn't think that that was a good thing. But if I think about, um, let's say there's several kids and there's one kid who's practicing homosexuality. If those several kids are Christians, they should honestly put some pressure on that kid. Now, when I say put some pressure, does that mean that they should tie him up and, and beat him. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. And I do not want to, um, you know, legitimize, um, even by my my irreverence or my humor, I don't want to legitimize the fact that that kind of violence is very um, is very prominent in our society. We, have, we do have a very violent society. Um, I, I, I don't think violence is the answer, and I don't, I don't think uh, anybody who is a Christian uh, who's following the Lord Jesus would ever resort to violence. But, um, but even in, in terms of, as I said, a, a group of young people putting pressure on a peer, um, that peer could easily run to a counselor and say, I'm being bullied. Yeah. That peer could very easily say, I'm being bullied and we have a victim society now, a victim mentality society where we just immediately become a sacred uh, cow, if you will, by calling ourselves victims. Yeah. And we see even the president does it. We see liberals doing it all the time. Oh, oh you know, they will come out with the most adamant, hateful uh, accusations and language. But as soon as you turn it on them, they'll play victim. Yeah. And and so that was really what I was trying to articulate. This notion of the victim as as the exalted savior of mankind, that is a real Marxist perspective, comes out of postmodernism, and is completely anathema to the truth of Christ. And if a Christian honestly wants to follow the Lord Jesus, he's going to have to be aware that this is going on in our society, and he's going to have to be willing to be seen uh, potentially, not not asking for it. Don't go out saying I want people to see me as a bully. But he's but Jesus tells us, you know, if we're going to stand for the truth, persecution is going to come, and this is one form. It's a very subtle form. It's a sinister form because it's so psychologically manipulative sure. that that you're not just persecuted for being a Christian and burned at the stake like you were in the first century. Uh, that was a lot easier in terms of our perspective of it. I'm not saying it was easier to go through. But we've now we've got psychological warfare going on. And yeah. uh, so for a Christian to really uh, stand for Christ, he's got to be aware that this kind of manipulation is going on in our society. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, th- that, I think that was a great answer. But but there is one more point of criticism I'd like you to respond to before we shift gears. <laughs> my goodness. Well, you know, I, I told myself I really wanted to be hard-hitting and, uh, you know. No, I, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, sure. Well, so here's the last one, and then we'll shift gears. Um, you mentioned Wayne Be- uh, Besson, I think is how you pronounce his name. And, and he claimed that in 2009 you sent out an email saying that you felt you weren't really called to be a spokesman for the cause of healing from homosexuality. But when, but Wayne went on to say that in 2010, you were going to appear on this Chicago radio show, I think it was called Americans for Truth or something, and that you once asked him to interview you on his show. Now, and then of course here you are on my show as well. So, although to be clear, it was I who reached out to you. Anyway, the point that I'm yeah. getting at is, uh, I'm not going to repeat some of the more crude language I've come across, but basically, many have claimed that what you're doing is, is just trying to get attention. Um, how, how would you respond to this claim that you're just an attention seeker? Uh, well, what, what is it that I'm doing? I, I'm, I'm just living uh, my life and um, trying to live it um, the best I can. Uh, I was contacted by um, Peter LaBarbera of Americans for Truth. He asked me if I would participate in an interview, and I felt it would help uh, potentially uh, to articulate um, my life and what Christ has done in my life. So I said, sure. Um, shortly thereafter, somebody else contacted me and asked me if I would participate because they said it might help them. I said, okay, I've got to pray about it. And, uh, I determined, you know what? Okay, I, I will do this if it might help you. Um, you don't see me writing books. You don't see me going on a lecture circuit. Um, I have been given many opportunities to do that. Um, I have a lot of people that say, you know, Michael, you really got to stand for this cause. Um, I don't have a really active website. Uh, I have the, the articles that some of the articles that have appeared in the past have been collected on a simple blog, which also includes the gospel message, um, for one reason. And that is because I feel that, um, my story in and of itself could potentially help, uh, if, if not one, maybe a few people. Um, and so I've left it there. But I'm not actively promoting it. I'm not going out there as an active spokesperson for this cause. Um, I, I don't even know that there is a cause that <laughs> I am standing for. Um, I seem to be uh, put in a position uh, where um, certainly uh, that the fact my story, my testimony, um, is something some people want to know more about. And... Um, as I've already described, uh, there was a lot of pressure back in 2007 to become a spokesperson, to really become an activist. And I uh, praise God that he put people in my path to basically say, no, you know, you are not going to do this. This is not something that you are going to actively pursue um, as in terms of trying to be a spokesperson for this cause. I do remember writing emails to some people saying, I am not going to be an active spokesperson for this cause. Uh, this is not the entirety of my identity. This is not the entirety of my uh, grace given by God to spend my whole life fighting homosexuality. I will fight it, but I will fight a lot of other things uh, as a Christian. Um, and and so uh, Wayne Besson is is a is a real uh, you know um, uh, troubled individual. Um, who has spent a lot of time uh, really trying to promote his cause. I say he's troubled because he called me and, and swore profanities at me, um, having never met me. Um, 
And so I'm not saying he's troubled just by blind accusation. Sure. Um, now, uh, so, you know, he's, he's definitely someone who, who is, is not, uh, in, in, he's not, he's not, in, in, I guess, incompatible. He's very incompatible, but he's not entirely incompatible with me as a human being because we're both human beings. So I honestly probably should pray for him more. Um, but when I think of him, I, 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 I don't usually get very pleased, um, because I don't like what he does. He's one of the people who, who, um, who went, uh, up to Christian churches that were proposing, uh, uh, homosexual, uh, um, opposition through the Bible and he actually was throw, uh, throwing things and shouting uh, with bullhorns through the windows of those churches he and other activists uh, they're very they, they have resorted to I can't say violence but very uh, violent-esque stuff and I know mm. what that's like because I used to do it uh, back in the 90s as I've already described I I've been there on that side uh, so I almost see a little bit of, you know, where I was, uh, when I see Wayne. I, I actually, uh, wrote about Wayne and when I was back at XY, I remember reaching out to him and, uh, you know, making a connection with him, uh, from the other side, from the gay activist side. So we got, you got to look at the, who, who, who everybody is, uh, where, what they're all saying. Um, again, if, if one, if one wants to know the truth, they need to find, uh, the truth, uh, directly from the source. And, um, so I would hope that, uh, people who are interested in the truth about homosexuality would go to the Lord, uh, for He is the source. And I would hope that if somebody wants to know the truth about one little guy, me, uh, that they would come to me, uh, directly. And you did reach out to me. Uh, I didn't contact you and say I want to do a <laughs> podcast. Um, you asked me if I would. I said I would be happy to after I read your questions and saw that you were going to be quite thorough and determined that it's possible that this podcast may help one individual and uh, that would be something worth my time. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, and I, I feel the same way. And, you know, basically, just to summarize your answer to the question, it, you're basically just saying that you're not the one that's proactively going out there and trying to be interviewed or anything. It's people that are reaching out to you, and you're just you're willing to oblige if, if, if you feel God leading you to do that. Exactly. I've yeah. got, you know, if, I mean, people, I guess, I don't even know, honestly, like in the, in the quote-unquote ex-gay world, I don't know if my name is toward if there's a list i don't know if i'm at the toward the top of it or, or at the bottom <laughs> of it i don't know how that stuff works i don't know how everybody's mind works i don't know what people see um but uh the majority of my time is not spent uh talking or thinking about homosexuality um so you know the majority of my time is spent on other things i uh, have a life and it's not uh, an ex-gay activist life yeah i understand Well, that was part one of the interview with Michael Glatz, focusing on his story and the criticisms that have been leveled against him. Uh, I hope that you'll join me for episode 49, containing part two, where we'll talk about the Bible and homosexuality and uh, how the culture get its, gets it wrong. Until then...